for my message today, I had written down the title of it as Called to Battle. And then I stopped after a while and I changed it and said, you know what? It's different. I'm, I'm going to change the name to invite, Invitation to Win because you're in the battle. I don't have to call you to it. I don't have to invite you to it. You're in it. Whether you know it or not, you're in it. That's the problem. Sometimes we don't know we're in it. And if you've ever been gradually getting sick and you slowly like a flu or a fever or something comes on and you don't realize it's coming. And so there's that one day where you're just like, I just feel so like I don't want to do anything. I must be really lazy. And you just are so not wanting. And then the next day you're like, I think I'm sick. I am sick. And then you're like, oh, now it makes sense. But you don't realize how sick until the day that you feel good again. You're like, whoa, wow, I was sick. <laughs> and so sometimes this is what happens for us with the battle. We don't realize we're in the battle. We're just going along. We think we're dealing with normal, everyday things. And suddenly it starts getting harder and a little bit harder and a little bit harder. And we think, well, I just don't like doing this anymore. Or we think, why does these people hate me? Or something along that line. And, and, and we don't think of it as a battle. We're not, you know, and, and so if you're getting up in the morning and you love it, you're springing in and in, in enjoying your work and you're loving to face the day, and then suddenly you start not liking the mornings. And it's slowly something is ruining your mornings. And you start thinking, well, I just don't like my coffee right now. Or I don't like the way that person talks to me in the morning. I don't like this. And you, you start thinking of all kinds of other things, but you're in a battle. And the reality is that on the days when you feel pristine and beautiful and the days when you feel, Ugh, both those days, there's the enemy of God who's trying to destroy you. you don't, we don't always, some days we're gloriously protected and other days we're right there on the front line. So today, instead of inviting you to the battle, I'm here to let you know we are in the battle. You're in it, okay? So instead, I'm going to give you an invitation to win. I'm inviting you to win. I want to read uh, Ephesians chapter 6. So we're going to be finishing out Ephesians now. We took a break for Christmas, but we're going to be finishing out Ephesians, and we're right there in Ephesians chapter 6, ready for the armor of God. And so I will be focusing today on Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand... Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints." And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, 
for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for all the different passages of your word that we have heard this morning. And thank you that we can draw, come together as a fellowship and rejoice in your word and to be strengthened. So Father, this morning as we look at the battle and we look at the overarching themes of this battle, Lord, would you encourage our hearts and strengthen us. And Father, I pray especially that if the enemy has managed to sell his lies to us, that we would see those for what they are, that we'd be able to see your truth and see your word and to be able to respond effectively to you. Father, we love you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are several things when I look at Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20, and I look at this particular passage, and I see these, the, the different pieces of our armor, and I realize, you know, most of us, we haven't ever had to put on armor like this. Or if we did, it was a privilege, an opportunity, something fun to put on. We've never put on a breastplate. We've never put on a helmet thinking they're trying to kill me and I'm putting this on to try to not die. And so we don't see it as a life or death matter. And yet in our Christian faith, a lot of times there are things that are life or death and to us they're a little ho-hum. We don't think of it as being life or death. We don't think of what's doing. And then sometimes we get a, an opportunity where someone years later will say, well, do you remember on that day and you said this and you did this? And you're like, wow, I did the right thing. You sure? That was, you know, I was there, right? Okay. And so you're like, I did the right thing and it made a difference. And it can sometimes be a difference of life or death. In all of it, what we're talking about is the life of Christ in us. And I will tell you this, in his presence is fullness of joy. That means that I can walk into the thickest and worst battle, but if I'm there with him in his presence, it's good. I am rejoicing. I can shout for joy. I'm in the battle and I'm happy to be in the battle. However, when I am not in his presence, when I don't have his life in me and I'm not seeking him and I'm not drawing near to him, then I can be in the best place, you know, whether it's my office with surrounded with theology on the, in the bookcases and listening to a YouTube message from someone else or whatever, but if I am not pursuing God, then it doesn't matter. I am not actually gaining the full benefit of his life and able to walk with him. Interesting thing about this, when we think about a, a spiritual battle, um, I brought several quotes that I want to read, hopefully. Yes, here they are. And so this, first of all, this is Theodoret. So Theodoret w lived uh, between the years 393 and 466. He was, for a while, the Bishop of Cyrus. And Theodoret was the child of parents who had no children. They were barren. And so they had, they had prayed and prayed and prayed and gotten every uh, pastor and bishop in the whole area, and anytime they, anyone was coming through, they would have them pray because they wanted to have children. And so they finally had children. They had one child, Theodoret, gift of God. That's what the name means. He is one of the few um, early church fathers of this time period who got to be both excommunicated from the church and reinstated into the church, and, and also got to stand for truth and 
still love the people who were erring. And so he's an interesting fellow when you look at it. Once his parents died, he, they were wealthy people, so he had a very good education, but they also made sure that he was being taught by two of the men who had prayed for them to be able to have children. So he was brought up in the church, brought up around scripture, around the, the doctrines. And once his parents were, had passed on, he sold everything, gave it and distributed it to the poor and became and was basically living in a monastery except for those times when he had to come out to be a bishop and had to serve in a town. So he's writing about this. He's preaching about this particular passage of scripture. And this is one of the things he says. He says, in ordinary battles, the generals do not arm women or children or the aged. But our general, Christ the Lord, distributes this royal armory to all alike. He then teaches them the stratagems of the devil. This is what he means by the devil's wiles. And if you stop and think about it, there is no age requirement on this armor. There is no expiration date on this armor. It's given to each of us. And the reality is that Peter can pray and put on the full armor of God and he can have impact against the kingdoms of darkness just as well as uh, you know, Dave, your mom, she, when she's praying, she can pray, and, and when you think about the two people, one has a long history with the church, a long history of prayer and being of knowing the Lord, and the other is just barely starting out, and yet, in the economy of the kingdom, God gives his armor to all of us and says, go, stand, having done all to stand. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then he says, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. So in the coming weeks, I want to go through some of the specifics of the pieces that are here and just examine more specifically how is it that we might be able to wield the armor and use the armor and how we can take a stand and how we can actually win. But first I wanted to look at the overall opportunity that is being set out for us. We are in a battle. When we come to Christ and we submit to him, we're automatically in the battle. That was what I was talking about earlier, where, where I am not inviting you into the battle. I'm not saying, hey, there's a battle. If you come with me, I'll show you where it is, and I take you, and, and we drive around the countryside for a while, and I'm saying, it's somewhere around here, and I finally come around a little curve, and there's a clump of trees, and, and oh, here's the battle. It's not like that. The battle is here. And what's worse about this is the battle is inside you as well. So there's a battle externally, there's a battle internally, and you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are being invited to the place of victory, a place where you're not running for your life, where you're not fleeing and gasping, but you are actually standing. And from that place of standing, the expectation is that you will draw the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and that, as he says, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak." Paul just used himself as an example to say, here I am, I'm standing, but I've been given a calling and I've been given something. I need to 
walk forward. So when Paul opens his mouth and speaks the mystery of the gospel boldly as he ought to speak, that is Paul unsheathing his sword and going into battle with it. And so each one of us has been given, that part looks a little bit different for each of us. We're not all exactly the same as Paul, but we've been given that. We are an ambassador for Christ. We've been given words to speak. Where we speak them and to whom we speak them is different depending on our individual gifts, but to each one of us, we've been called. And so we don't have to be spending our days running and trying to escape things. We can actually stop and stand and then having done everything to still stand. We, don't, we will not be moved. There was, there was another, uh, when I was looking at this, and I'm just contemplating, I had run across this a couple months ago. Jerome, Jerome was the, the bishop who had been actually ended up um, being excused from his daily duties of the church. This happened quite a few times. And he spent time in, Rome, um, in Jerusalem and then in Bethlehem, but he retranslated the Bible into Latin for the common people in Rome about the year 400. He finished in 405. Um, and Jerome, as he was translating through, he, he spent a lot of time because what he started doing was he was translating it into Latin and his first quote that we, that we know him for about the translation is that it, it's, um, he says something along the line of, you know, it's not fair to Peter and Paul that they speak such an atrocious Latin. Like they need to have a better, they have to have, have a better Latin. So he's trying to write a better Latin for them. Later, Eusebius said a very similar thing about their Greek. And so, so there's something about these, these Bible translators where they, they kind of, they're like, I'm going to give them the words the way they really said it. So, so what happened is he starts translating. He's translating for a couple of years. And then he finds out that the texts he has are not the best texts. And so this is what he was doing over in Jerusalem then. He heads over to Jerusalem and spends time in Jerusalem. He's looking for the best Greek. And so he learned Hebrew so that he could get the Hebrew text as well. So he's looking because he was like the Septuagint that I had was not the best Septuagint even. It was, it was I forget where he'd gotten it from, but he was, so he spent a bunch of time trying to make sure he gets the best manuscripts that he could tr translate into Latin. After spending 15 years of his life translating the Bible into Latin, he was like, I have a lot of things I want to say. So he wrote a bunch of commentaries. He made a whole bunch of different Bible commentaries, a whole bunch of them. So one of them was on Ephesians. And he says this about this passage. And I thought this was very fitting for us as we're looking at it and we're discussing how are we going to wear the armor of God? How are we going to put it on? How are we going to stand? What are we going to do to make that successful? And so he says, from what we read of the Lord our Savior throughout the scriptures, it is manifestly clear that the whole armor of Christ is the Savior himself. It is he whom we are asked to put on. It is one and the same thing to say, put on the whole armor of God and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our belt is truth and our breastplate is righteousness. The Savior is also called both truth and righteousness. So no one can doubt that he himself is that very belt and breastplate. On this principle, he is also to be understood as the preparation of the gospel of peace. He himself is the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. He is the sword of the spirit because he is the word of God living. 
and effective, the utterance of which is stronger than any helmet and sharp on both sides. So this is an interesting thought as we go into the armor of God, that we are not being sent out. We don't have a captain of our salvation who's saying, okay, so you've come, you're part of the battle here, put on these things, and then run that way, and you'll see the enemy and fight him. Instead, we are being invited to go with the Lord himself everywhere we go. He is with us. And so now he is with us with our spirits. He's in us. We have the fellowship of the cross, the fellowship of his spirit. But then we have one step more. He is not only with us, he is our very protection and our weapon. And so everything, he becomes all in all. And I think this is a good approach for us to take as we look at the armor of God in the next couple of weeks, as we look at each individual piece and we consider how we are to use the word of God, how we are to use prayer, how we are to use each of these pieces. How do we take them up? How do we put them on? And how do we walk forward with our Savior into his battle against his enemies, and he has the victory. And so I don't know in your scenario what you're dealing with. When you look out, out in, on your front and you look ahead and you see what the enemy is doing in front of you, I don't know what you're feeling. Are you being intimidated or are you being tempted? Are you being made afraid? Are you being made scornful and angry? There are multiple ways the enemy of our souls can come to us and take us out of the battle. And I just want to say this. As I've been reading church history, and as I've been looking at my own history, there is a part to the battle that I think is very, very important for us. And it's this. In, in Psalm 1, we've, we're given the, the line of what a blessed man looks like. It says, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth will prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. When we think about battle, we don't want to be perishing. We don't want to be in that place where we perish. We want to be flourishing. We, you know, and, and one of the things that the Civil War historians, uh, they were one of the first ones to start seeing this because these were the first battles where there would be this many pounds of lead being flung back and forth. But one of the things that they would write is we came in and there was a thicket of trees. And when we left, it, the, the leaves were gone because of all the flying bullets and everything. And so if I think of myself as a tree standing by the river of water and I'm in battle, I need my leaves. I need the fruit, but I also need the leaves. I don't want to come out of the battle stripped. I want to come out strong. And so there's three things that are given at the beginning of Psalm 1 that I think apply very well to us when we're looking at the armor of God and putting on the whole armor of God. And the first one is to not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And what I like, someone has pointed out that there's a progression here. There's walking, and then they're standing in the path of sinners, and then they're sitting in the seat of the scornful. And I just want to suggest, when you're walking, 
you're moving somewhere. It is possible that you're doing things and accomplishing things, but you might be doing it in an ungodly way. And in our culture and in our time, it is pretty easy. It was, it's been an amazing thing I've observed in the last, um, as I've been reading different books, is the, the business world has been turning more and more to shepherding and pastoral books on how to have relationship with each other in the business place. So they want to understand how to shepherd people. So Christian businessmen are trying to up the ante and they're trying to figure out how do we bring more of the soft, tender, passionate, compassionate side of things over here. On the other hand side, you have the pastors and the shepherds and they're reading the business books to try to figure out how to make church work. And so there's a funny switcheroo happening here. And so I just want to be careful that when we, are, when we are walking, that we're not walking in the counsel of the ungodly, but that we're able to say, what is it that God has called me to and what have his people to say to my life? That's very important. So that's important first. The second one about standing in the path of sinners. Interesting thing about standing, I do this chalk drawing, the two ways it's, in, it's hanging in our entryway but I have the, the two paths going out and paths are for walking on. And the one path goes up the mountain and goes up high. The other path goes down into the valley. And so when you're standing there, you see the guy, when you're looking at the picture, you see the guy and he's standing looking at it like this. And on one hand side is the broad, easy path. On the other hand side goes up in the mountain. When you turn on the black light, you see that the one is the celestial city and the other one is the lake of fire. What you don't realize a lot of times is how many opportunities you're given to stand and consider. Because if he's on the path, he says, there's my path, and he's walking. And he's just walking along. But the moment he sees the other option, he stops and he stands. And he's looking both ways. And he's considering, do I take this path or do I take that path? And this is a very dangerous place and yet a very common place for us where we're constantly walking through life, and then there's options. There's another option. And these options that come with us, if we are, as it says a bit later, meditating in the word of God day and night, we will look at the option and say, that one's wrong, and this is one's for me, and we can actually keep walking and keep pursuing him. But the third place, and this is the one where I feel like is one of the saddest places, We're being called here in Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God. The place where we can get, according to Psalm 1, is where we're sitting in the seat of the scornful. I myself have sat in this seat. And it's a bad place to sit because here's what it feels like. I am sitting here and from my vantage point, I'm actually able to see quite well what is happening around me. And I'm able to see quite well the mistakes that this person over here is making. And if they could just see what I see, they wouldn't be doing the things they're doing. Now, I am sitting. And so rather than get up and walk over there and say, I've walked this path before and I would like to help you. Let me show you what's happening here and help them. I sit and I talk about that. And before I know it, I'm being scornful. And at that moment, because I know so much, I have head knowledge, I have, I have read the word of God, I have gone through, I, I have experienced things. I know that is not the way to do that. That's a dumb way to do it. And if you've been homeschooled, you've been taught a lot of right from wrong. And you've been taught a lot of this is the way and this is, that's dumb. Um, last night, my boys came to me because they're, 
they were learning how to light candles, and so they came and they wanted to hear the story about when I was a little boy and I lit a match and what happened. They wanted to know the whole story. So I, they were asking me when you were a little boy, and I said, you want to hear the story when I was a little boy? Yes, says Hudson. When you were a little dumb boy, I want to know what you did. <laughs> okay. I was a little dumb boy. <laughs> And in my, in my story, I was doing what I knew to be wrong, but I was doing it while my mom was taking a nap, trying to light a fire. And what I love about this story, you just need to know it now. Okay, so I'm a little boy. My mom has a big, my grandma has a big kettle. She makes actual live soap in it. So I'm thinking, I'd like to make soap too. So I get a, a, a plastic bowl from the kitchen, and I start collecting. I don't know what the ingredients are for making soap, so I start collecting every kind of soap in the house. So I put in, you know, dishwashing detergent, hand washing detergent, laundry soap, any kind of soap I can find. I'm putting it into this bowl, and when I think I have enough, and one day I'm like, and now I gotta cook it, because that's what you. That's the next step. So I wait until mom is taking her nap in the afternoon, and I go out in the backyard and I get a cinder block and I set it up, and then I put my plastic bowl on top of the cinder block, and then I go and get all the sticks and things and newspaper and I stick it into those holes, and right about the time I light the match, and it starts, it actually starts, and the the kettle is the the white plastic bowl is beginning to deform a little bit. I hear the back door open. I'm frozen. And mom walks out. What is that smell? She's looking around and she looks right over there and she sees me and I'm just standing like this. And she was there in a very short order, put out the fire. And her, one of her first questions was, what were you thinking? It's plastic. Like that was, you know, that wasn't even supposed, to, we weren't supposed to be having a logical conversation. I was wrong. I was six years old. I was not supposed to be playing with fire. So that night, my father explained to me that I was not supposed to play with fire, and I remember it very well. <laughs> <laughs> and as my son said, I, was, I didn't want to be that dumb little boy ever again. But the problem is, as I was growing up and learning all those things, some of them I did myself, and some of them I watched other people do, and it is so easy for me to know what works and what doesn't work, to know what's good and what's not good, and then to look at you and say, wow, the way you're doing that is kind of dumb. The way you're doing that is kind of stupid. And I don't have to say it. I can just sit there quietly in the seat of the scornful. But here's what happens. While I'm sitting down in the seat of the scornful, I have been removed entirely from the battle. I am not fighting back at all. I am offering no resistance to the enemy. And so while I am talking and explaining things and I might look good, more or less, I am not being effective for the kingdom. There is no gospel of the kingdom flowing through my words. There is no life change. There is no life of Christ flowing through me. What's coming through me is my superiority. And I am, and so, so this is a spot, and I had actually told, um, I usually don't do New Year's resolutions at all, but I had, I did, the other day I was driving, and I suddenly realized that what I had done a week or two earlier was same thing as what people do with New Year's resolutions. I had put together a goal in my mind. I said, you know, there are two things that I need to work on this year. And one of them is this. Around the world, there are believers 
For 2,000 years, people have been living and dying for Jesus Christ, for the kingdom. People have been being one to Christ. That, that whole thing in Scripture where it says they will know you by the, your love, that has been proven over and over and over again by true believers. People have been drawn and attracted to the kingdom, and none of them had the benefit of my knowledge and my input and my preaching or anything. God did it on his own with these people. It's amazing. And so if God is able to do this around the world, he can do it around town. He can do it around our fellowship. He can do it around my family. He can do it around my house. He can work in people's lives and I don't have to be present. And so one of the things that I had put together in my mind as a kind of a goal for this next season, I didn't write it down as a resolution, but this would work as a resolution. And it was this, I want to be very careful that I am not sitting in the seat of the scornful when I think someone's taking a wrong path. And it goes back to what Pastor Roman Miller used to say, that if you're going to err, which you probably are, if you're going to err anyway, then err on the side of mercy. Err on the side of love. And so I'm looking at this armor and I'm thinking about what we're being told. We're being told to stand, and we're being given this picture in Psalm 1 of that tree that is standing, deeply rooted. And when I think of these trees, I think of the live oak trees down in South Texas. You know, they never lose all their leaves. They, in, the, in the fall, uh, in different times, they will lose some of their leaves, but they always keep enough leaves on it to look like a full, leafy green tree. And they're big trees, and they grow often down closer to the water sources, and they, they'll be like underneath, because the canopy is so big, underneath will be the places where animals come and lie down for rest. It's where we used to play. The, 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 the branches are big enough that I've played tag and other running games in the tree. Because you can. You can move around up in them. They're huge trees. And so I think about that tree, and the one thing the live oak tree in Texas is lacking is any kind of fruit that's of any use to us. The, the, the acorns that it makes just are very, very bitter, and so it's not actually useful in that way. But I'm like, if this tree had a good food, then it would be that tree from Psalm 1. It would have fruit in its season, it would, and maybe to the squirrels, it is the Psalm 1 tree perfectly. <laughs> but for me, it doesn't quite work. I just, I don't know how to eat acorns correctly, I guess. So, but I've had other acorns from other trees that are much sweeter and much better. So there are some that I like. But I'm being called to be this tree, being rooted and grounded, bringing forth my fruit. And, I'm, and the idea is that I'm not being perturbed. I'm not drifting off this way and then drifting off that way. And, and the next day you come out and say, where'd that tree go anyway? It's not like that. I'm just there. And this is one of the beautiful things about when I look at the, the church history and I see different people that have been used by God and I realize that many of these people had some kind of an interaction with God early in their life that then was their beacon for the rest of their life. They were walking with God and they become aware. Like even this Theodoret guy, he understood when he went into the monastery that because he's ordained with the church that he needs to be available. And so he was willing to come out and go places and, and go to other and serve in different ways for the church. In a time when some people were saying, I'm going to the monastery and I'm never coming out, and they were going to the farthest, deepest away, 
he understood that his relationship with God had something to do with the people of God. And so for me, the resolution, as I was talking about, was I just want to be a little bit more aware that God is at work in your life and mine. And it's possible that when I look at you and I see you making a mistake, you might be doing something entirely different from what I was doing. And so I think of, you know, the, the idea of, um, we, we watched a video the other day. Oh, it was that the little girl who sang, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. We found the YouTube when she was on TV singing that. And that, that there's three little girls. It's 53, uh, 1953, I think. And they're, they're sitting on the front porch and they're playing jacks. And I just saw them do that briefly and I'm like, I don't think people today even know how to do that, like kids today. And so if, 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 if you are playing jacks and then you see me playing with the same things, but I have no idea what to do with them, so I have made up another game, you're going to think I'm doing it very wrong. It's possible that the thing that you see someone else doing, they're not actually trying to do what you were doing. They might be doing something different. It's also possible that God is working something else in their life. It's also possible that God wants you to get off of the seat and walk over there and say, here, I've, I've done this before, can I help you? And to walk with them while they're doing it. But by all means, I personally want to get off the seat of the scornful. And I don't want to be in that place of scorning. I want to be in a place of being able to receive what God is doing in my life and in other people's lives. And I want to be able to walk with them and so when I think of the, the idea that the armor of God is not just me putting on this clunky armor and going out and trying to kill something, but instead I am putting on Jesus Christ and I'm putting on his grace and his mercy and his compassion and his kindness and his truth and his justice and I'm putting all of this on. And all around me, the rest of the body of Christ is also putting this on. And then we are together in the battle and we're, fight, we're not fighting each other. And now instead of me being the hero because I'm wearing the armor, we're all wearing the armor. And it changes it to where I am not the one that needs to be instructing everyone else exactly how to walk. But instead, we really, really, really need the fellowship of the saints. Because in the fellowship, we get to say, how, does, how, are, you, how are you wearing Christ? And you say, well, it's a little uncomfortable. I keep trying this and it's just uncomfortable. In this scenario, I keep not knowing how to wear Christ. And someone says, you know, I was there in that scene before and this is what I did and it really helped me. And I, I've thought of the, uh, one of the, one of those examples of that, I just in the last month or two, I was listening to um, Robbie Zacharias and he was interviewing, I think Bill Huang, but I might have that name wrong. But here's Bill Huang. He has all of his life known that he should be reading the Bible, you know. New Year's rolls around, and right now on social media, you can see all the people saying, well, I'm, I'm completing my Bible plan. I'm completing my Bible plan. And it's great. I'm glad they are. But then there's all the people who are like, I didn't even start it, or, you know, I got to Genesis 6, or whatever. And, and, and you have all of this problem. And so there's this condemnation that comes because we say, you should read the Bible, and you should. However, what he did that I thought was brilliant. He just started asking people that were working with him. He knew they were believers. He says, you know, what if we just met on Thursday for lunch and we read a chapter or a book? 
And the, his friends were like, yes, let's do it. And so pretty soon everywhere he would go, and instead of saying, are you reading the Bible? You should. He's saying, do you want to read the Bible? We could. And he opens the door and he said, Jesus himself, we don't know that he got the scroll of Isaiah at the breaking of dawn and ran out to the woods and read it for himself. We do know that every synagogue on every Sabbath that the apostles and Jesus went to hear the public reading of the word of God. This is one example where you can go from, well, I read the entire book every year for the last 10 years or whatever it is you've done to saying, can we do something? And part of what we're doing right now as a fellowship is we have the added scripture readings that we've been adding. And I, I am not wanting to make those all fit with the sermon necessarily because the word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And God knows what you're dealing with. And so these scriptures are coming from the calendar and we're just reading them, but that's part of it. It is good for us to hear the word of God. It is good for us to sit and hear, let the word of God wash over us. And so as we look at the whole armor of God, as we look at Ephesians 6 in the next couple of weeks, these are the, the points. I want us to not be, I want us to be thinking in terms of how do I know what is the counsel of the ungodly and what is the counsel of the godly? How do I know that I'm not standing in the path of sinners being tempted? How do I know that I'm not sitting in the city of the scornful and mocking those around me, not even helping in the battle? How can I be engaged in the battle? How can I stand like that tree? having done all, as he's, Paul says, to stand. How can I be in that place? How can I put on Jesus Christ? And how can I, in putting it on, realize that all of us are called in this battle and how we want to win? And so the invitation is there. The invitation to win is the invitation to put on Christ, to let him fight his battles for us. But the necessity for us is that we stop and take some assessment in our life and say, where am I? Because I can tell you, there are places where I'm standing in the path of sinners. There's places where I'm standing, uh, where I'm walking in the counsel of the ungodly. There's, there's places like this where I'm looking at it going, well, should I do this? Should I do that? And the way I'm moving forward is not quite healthy. And so there are places where if you ask me and you pin me down with it, I say, I don't think I'm winning over here. There's other places where they say, I'm winning over here, but I'm not winning over here. And so I'm assuming that's true for all of us because the battle is here, the battle is now, the enemy is here. Now, the neat thing about the enemy is he's not omnipresent. The enemy can only come and get us started. It can only come and attack us, but we don't know where he's coming from or what he's going to do. What is consistent and can be constant in our life is Jesus, our armor, the Spirit of God within us. And so that's what I want to focus us toward and to, pull, uh, to, to be able to, to RSVP to the invitation and say, yes, I want to walk in that victory. I want to walk with the armor. And we will be examining different pieces of that as we go forward. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the armor. Thank you that you are our defense and you are our protection Thank you that you've given us, you've equipped us, you've given us what we need to be able to follow and to walk with you. Lord, you, have, you are a great and awesome God. 
And I thank you for this opportunity to stand together, to be the body of Christ, to, to represent you, but also to literally have you in and with us, Father. So we love you, and I ask, Father, that each one of us, we would understand that you have called us to walk with you, and by that calling, you've brought us into the battle, but you haven't just brought us here and dropped us off. You're with us, and you're equipping us. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are coming to a time of communion today, and <coughs> if you've chatted at all with Bob, you will excuse him for not trying to talk with us right now. So I wanted to um, take a moment and to use the picture that we've just talked about with in armor and, and, and talk about communion, then we'll serve here in just a minute. Actually, you can go ahead and start serving now. The, the picture that we are given in Acts 2.42, where it says they, the, they devoted themselves. Yeah, thank you. In Acts 2.42, where it says they continued steadfastly, some translations say they devoted themselves, in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. What we are doing when we come together here as a fellowship is we are wanting to hear the apostles' doctrine, the teach, understanding how the Old Testament scriptures have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and how they apply to us and what it means for us in the world today. That's what we want to know. We also want to have that time of fellowship together. We want to have that time of, of the breaking of bread and prayer. And so as we're all coming together for this, one of the things that we are constantly needing to keep foremost in our mind, this is something where we, we need to remind ourselves or remind each other, is that we're in the battle and sometimes the battle follows us here. And so when we come in here, at the very least... We are looking at each other and, and we are helping shine and polish each other's armor. And sometimes we're literally pulling the enemy's daggers out of the hearts of the people that, of our friends who have come back here. And so that is part of what communion is, is we come together and we are on the confession of our faith in Jesus Christ we are participating and what this is to represent and this is the doctrine that you and I have in many ways had to be very careful with because of the transubstantiation issue and what happened during the Reformation but what this was called for many years this is the presence of the Lord this becomes for what we will call a symbol of the presence of the Lord that he is with us we know on a spiritual sense that God is with us he is here, but when we come and we are devoted to communion, one of the things we're being devoted to is we're devoted to his presence. He is with us. And so we actually, as warriors in the kingdom of heaven, who have been out there, we come together week by week, and we are being strengthened and we're being encouraged. And on this day, when we get to celebrate the communion, what we're, we're, we are being reminded on purpose to say, I need to be renewed by his presence day by day. And so when he says he's inviting us, when he's knocking at the door, you know, he is in every part of your life. 
Christ is knocking at the door. He wants to live it with you. And on a day like today, when we are having the elements of communion here, and we, ha- we have the visible el- elements of his presence, we are able to say, Lord Jesus, I am opening the door. I want you to come in and sup with me and I with you. I want to be renewed. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you have given us this, that as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, that we can be reminded that you are not a God who shot out lightnings from a distance and just said, do these things, but you were a God who came into our very midst. You walked with us. You lived and loved and died with us and you rose again, and you've shown us, you are the firstborn among many brethren, you've shown us the path we will walk, that we too will one day rise and be with you. So in the in-between time, Lord, we are in the battle, and we need you. And so thank you, Father, for this, your body, and for this, your blood, that you have given us as a reminder and as a constant companion. We are nothing apart from you, Lord. Thank you for this, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The bread, the body of Christ that was broken for us. Let's participate together.